What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the MJ Sportscast Show, episode nine. My name is Mike Tang, joined by my co-host, Jerry Yang. Ready to talk sports. All right, so let's uh, maybe start off with the San Francisco 49ers um, here. They uh, actually were able to uh, win a game after a few weeks. Uh, they beat the, the Rams here 23-20 uh, to 20 in a pretty close game. What are your thoughts um, from watching this game, Jerry. Oh, what a game! <laughs> I think there was a, a emotional roller coaster. I think it's the best way to describe this game. Um, I think I was really happy to see Sherman, Debo, and Jeff Wilson and Mostert back. I think having Mostert back made a huge impact already on the offense. They're like a totally different offensive team, and then mm-hmm. obviously Debo made a lot of key plays and. Um, overall, I think the Niners did pretty good. Um, I would give them, you know, rating of probably like a B or B plus. Uh, I think Nick Mullins made some good plays when he had to, especially in that last drive, um, to be able to win the game. But I think, um, definitely missing some pieces there that I think if we had Jimmy G or had George Kittle in the lineup, this would have been an easy game. Like, <laughs> it's really surprising to say that, considering the Rams did really well in their last game, right? Um, and on paper, they seem like a better team. But I think Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala really has their number in a lot of ways. And this is the fourth meeting where um, the Niners have really looked dominant against the Rams. And I think credit and shout out goes to um, Hyder and Jimmy Ward. Both of those guys, I think, really stepped it up in this game. They looked outstanding, right? I think this was the best I've seen Jimmy Ward in a while. And I think going forward, we have to play the Rams again. Um, the team should feel pretty confident. And them being in our division and being our division rivals, and it's definitely you know a good thing that we have some ownage <laughs> right. on a, a division rival team. So. So yeah, overall I think it's a good game. A lot of emotional roller coasters. I think the turnovers in the first quarter really, you know, what I was referring to as a roller coaster, but then also giving up a two score lead was also really surprising. But then we we're able to come back to tie the game and then get within field goal range and win it at the end. So it was the results were good, a little bit messy to get there. And I think with the right personnel, um, especially at quarterback, this would have been a lot less close, right? But would have been more one sided, I think. But the whole, I think throughout the whole game, I never really felt threatened. Mm-hmm. I think even with the Rams taking the lead, it just still felt like, in some ways, the Niners was going to find a way to win that game. And I think that was, that that's a pretty terrific feeling um, compared to their previous games. Even the games they won, I wasn't that confident. But for this game, I think it was just the way they were dominating. Um, on the run game as well as dominating on defense. It just just felt like a game they were going to win for sure. So, And did you also think that, you know, the return of Mostert, return of um, Jeff Wilson Jr., Richard Sherman, and uh, having Debo Samuel in the lineup, does that also help your confidence as a fan watching these games, knowing that we do have some impactful players back mm-hmm. in the lineup here and that they will give us a great chance in the fourth quarter to pull it out. Yeah, absolutely. And we didn't we didn't even have Brandon Ayuk for this game. So it'll be interesting to see when Ayuk comes back how the share will be with Debo. 
And I think with Sherman being back, that, that brings a lot of balance to that corner, um, cornerback uh, and secondary, um, mainly because I think Verrett has really looked good in the last few games. And now you complement him with Sherman and then um, putting Imam e- e- more on the safety high-end position and more of a third cornerback where I think he's well slotted in that spot. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be excited about. And if we go deeper into this run um, and we get Jimmy G and Kittle back, then we're talking about like a very legit team, right? And then on the defense side, we get Kwan Williams back, and um, we didn't have like DJ Jones and a few other key players, I think, for this game as well. So we get those pieces back. Then I think we're we're in good shape. I know we won't get Bosa back for the rest of this season, but he's one guy in this whole team, right? Um, so I think on offense, we haven't really dropped off. Um, if we start seeing more and more people come back. So. Yeah, absolutely here. And, uh, you know, we win the game by a field goal. And um, I think immediately we kind of have to, you know, look t- look towards the next game here because it seems like every game seems like a must-win situation for the 49ers. And, you know, we are facing the Buffalo Bills in a Monday night uh, football uh, showcase here. And they have some pretty um, top, you know, pretty good players um, coming over. They have uh, Josh Allen as their quarterback. Uh, they have some uh, playmaking ability from Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, um, and Michael Hyde. Um, what are your thoughts about the matchup here? And do you think the Niners have a pretty good chance of winning this game, Jerry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one thing about the Bills that are key to this game is that they don't really have a good running game. They have Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, who have been very inconsistent throughout this whole season. And teams were able to shut them down, right? So they've been pretty disappointing for the Bills fans. Um, so I think at least in that sense, we'll be able to, I think, be able to keep them to be a one-dimensional team. Um, but like you mentioned, they do have Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley who are going to be um, definitely threats, right? Cole Beasley in the slot, and then Stephon Diggs is going to be that right receiver that's going to stretch the field. Um, the good news is I don't think they have a guy like DK Metcalf, like a big receiver. I know Stefan Diggs is kind of playing that role, but he's not someone um, that I think someone like Sherman or Verrett can't cover, right? It's not going to be a matchup nightmare. Um, so we definitely have some edge there. Um, and John Brown's on IR, so that also helps a lot because John Brown would have been a guy that, that can really stretch the field, I think, give more of a matchup problem for the Niners. So I do like our chances, but it's definitely not going to be an easy win, right? And I do agree with you that this from these games from now on out is going to be must win. Um, I think the key games is this one, the Cardinals and the Seattle Seahawks. Um, we have to be able to win at least two out of three, I would think. Um, win out right. of three gives us like a slim chance, <laughs> right? Um, if we lose all three, obviously we're out, right? And I'm not underestimating the Washington and the Cowboy games. I just felt like we would be more favored in those games and definitely have to win those as well. Um, but these key games, I think, will determine how well we do um, and how, or how well we would do in the playoffs as well as our chances of getting there. So, yeah, so I think for the Bills, they're definitely not going to be a pushover. If you look at their previous schedule, they have beaten good teams, right? They did beat the Rams. Um, they beat the Patriots. They beat the um, they beat the Seahawks. And they almost beat the Cardinals. It weren't for, like, a miracle, <laughs> like, throw from um, Kyler Murray. 
Um, so they definitely have some ownage on our division. Um, so we have to have to be really careful not to underestimate them here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you there. And uh, I also think that not every game is guaranteed a guaranteed win in the schedule, you know, due to, you know, all these COVID protocols that are in place. You just never know when any of your impactful players will be pulled out of the game or out of that week's um, itinerary there. So um, I think we have to try to win as, ma- as many games as we can um, before uh, before we face um, the Cowboys game, to be honest with you mm-hmm. here. And just to kind of brush up on the COVID stuff, um, it's it's been pretty hectic. You know, like the Santa Clara County over here, they, they've banned, um, you know, all the sports teams in general, including the 49ers, from practicing, from meeting, um, and also from having games um, in the area. So what does that mean for the 49ers? That means that they have to... Um, they have to have their home games in Arizona. So it looks like three of three out of the next four home games or next games will be in, in the Arizona um, stadium. Um, do you think that's going to have any impact on the Niners here? Or do you think um, it's going to help them in the long run? I think it's going to be more uh, of a negative than a positive, mainly because mm-hmm. we have three home games. And now those three home games are going to be basically road games, right? And we're going to be playing in Arizona for three three games in a row. Um, I know this yeah. next game is, I think this next game is in Buffalo, right? So at least this was supposed to be a road game um, or actually they're supposed to be home, right? So I think there was two games. So um, the Bills and the Washington game were supposed to be home games, now are road games. Then we go to Cowboys, um, yeah. which is fine, but then we'll have to come back to the Cardinals and then we have to play again in Arizona against Seattle, right? So I think, it's the reason why I think it's a negative is more of a mental um, fatigue. I think that's going to be a challenge for the team Um, being away from their families, um, having to travel when it's supposed to be a home game, right? One of the advantages, I know there's not no fans in the stands um, for these games. So you don't really have that fan advantage that um, you normally have in a regular season. So one of the few advantages that a home team had was not having to do that travel schedule. And then for an NFL team to travel, it's a very regimented process, right? Especially with COVID. Um, they had to fly in. Um, there's certain days where they have to check in with the team. And there's this lot of logistics that they all have to figure out. Um, and it's going to be a mental strain without being with their families, especially around the Christmas season. Um, it's it's just going to be really impactful. and and I'm a little bit surprised that Santa Clara County um, and California kind of imposed this rule. I know it impacted Stanford football as well, um, but it hasn't impacted any other teams, right? So, so what makes, I guess, Santa Clara a little bit more special is what I don't understand personally. Um, there's probably people who can explain it to me, but from from this standpoint, it's it just mind-boggling to me, right? And, right. Um, yeah, I definitely feel for the players. I know Kyle Shanahan has been really critical of Santa Clara County and has been talking a lot about um, the emotional aspects of being away from the family and things like that. I totally agree with him. I think those are two very legit points when it comes to the situation. And if anything else, it's also an off-the-field distraction. And I think they probably used it in this last game to help them win. Um, but that's not going to always be the case. And 
it's definitely going to be something they're going to have to worry about <laughs> and always think about that. Hey, we're going to be in Arizona, but you know, how are we going to plan for this? And I'm not, they're not going to be around for like family. You know, I think that's a really big impact. And as a person who has kids, I definitely can I can't understand that, right? And relate to it. And um, I know Robert Sala, I think, has six kids, so he's definitely going to be feeling it um, personally as well, right? So that's just one example. And you take that um, from what I read, it was about two hundred people that are impacted, right? So that's two hundred families within this one team. So, so yeah, definitely a negative. Um, I hope um, the COVID situation improves within. California in the next couple of weeks so that at least at some point they can come back home and play at home without um, before the season ends, right? But at this point, I don't think we can really bank on that. So it's so unfortunate, but we just got to do what we have to do, I guess. Yeah, um, you make some very good points there, Jerry, but I have a different perspective on this. I actually think that this could end up being a positive for the San Francisco 49ers just because they have a, a veteran team here. This isn't like a young team and they're, you know, looking to have, you know, a lot of fun on, on the weekends or whatnot there. And I think they've been mentally prepared for something like this to happen. They've seen other leagues like the NBA. They've had to be stuck in a, in a bubble, in a straight bubble for like two or three months, maybe on the other side of the country. This, you know, going to Arizona is what, maybe like an hour or two plane ride away. And I understand that there's family and there's kids, but um, I can also see how this can help propel the Niners um, just because this will help them with like limiting distractions. Um, and they're also going to play in a faster field in Arizona as opposed to playing at home um, at Levi Stadium. And at Levi Stadium, they were, I think, one in four. Uh, this season they weren't doing all too hot um, playing here in Santa Clara so maybe just a change of scenery and and just consistently playing in Arizona might end up helping the 49ers in a weird way um, here and I think the fast field will also um, help players such as uh, Debo Samuel it'll help Mostert it'll help Ayuk and I think those those two or three players um, will be difference makers in the next four games here. So instead of like kind of seeing it from, you know, a negative perspective, you know, I'm going to try to spin it positively and think it will help the Niners in the long run. Yeah, I hope you're right, right? <laughs> like, even though I feel like it's a negative situation, I, I hope you're right that these things will outweigh it. I, I think the one thing that um, we can't underestimate is that whatever mental preparation you, you prepare for a situation like this, you won't really know how you're going to react until it actually happens. Right. And then yeah. I know it's a veteran team and all this stuff, but I don't think anyone's ever gone through a situation like this ever. So it's going to be unprecedented. And yeah, if the team is mentally strong and they can overcome these challenges and become closer as a team, we'll be a better team for it. And there'll be probably better people for it as well, right? To be able to overcome these odds and still come up on top, that's going to be a huge accomplishment for them in their life. So, So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the uh, Las Vegas uh, Raiders. Uh, they actually faced the Atlanta Falcons uh, this past Sunday uh, morning, and they actually got uh, destroyed uh, by the Falcons here, uh, 43 to 6. Uh, a couple of things that have happened in that game um, their key running back, Josh Jacobs, was injured. Um, Derek Carr, um, they committed, what, 
three three turnovers. Um, Five. Just from Carr himself. <laughs> oh, four then, turnovers. Uh, the whole team committed. Yeah, the whole team committed five turnovers, um, and they weren't able to um, convert red zone chances uh, to touchdowns. That they had to settle for a couple field goals here. Uh, Jerry, you know, from I'm sure you watched a little bit of this mm-hmm. game Sunday morning. Do you think it was just um, jet lag, uh, being from the going to the Eastern Time Zone here? They were, was was the Raiders just not prepared? Did John Gruden not prepare this team? Um, you know, against a Falcons team that's way below 500. What are your thoughts? I mean, Jerry? overall, it's just disappointing, right? As a Raiders fan, you're, you're, you're going to think to yourself, what the hell just happened, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's a team that you're supposed to roll over. I think the score should have been switched. It should have been 43-6 to six for the Raiders winning, not them losing this mm-hmm. badly. And one, I think one thing that I would have concern for if I was a Raiders fan is the fact the Raiders have notoriously been playing to their opponent's level. Right, they had a really emotional win in the last game against KC, which is a good team. But then when they face a bad team, they start to roll over and start making a lot of mental mistakes. A lot of the turnovers I saw from Carr were totally preventable. He had the ball out, and then a defender came up and just swatted it out. I mean, if you're a quarterback, you should be gripping that thing tightly or be aware of a defender being close, yeah. right? Um, so totally unacceptable. I think fumbling the, the ball away three times and then having a really bad interception as well. But then the offensive line didn't do him any favors as well. He was hurried uh, plenty of times. And he was sacked three. And then even then when the backup mm-hmm. quarterback came in just for the fourth quarter, he got sacked twice. Right. So it's, yeah. it's overall disappointing. I think the offensive line really needs to step it up a little bit more, especially for games that I think they probably relaxed a little bit, I think, because they thought it was the Falcons and they can just roll over this team. But that totally then came to fruition, right? And I'll, I'll definitely be concerned about Josh Jacobs' injury um, based on my last injury report. I saw that he he's probably going to be okay, um, mm-hmm. but he might miss a few games. And if that's going to happen... Um, we have to see how how um, how Devontae Booker does when he steps in in his role. And in this game, the running game was not a factor anyways, right? Um, Josh Jacobs only had 27 yards on seven rushes, and he had one fumble as well. So he was completely stuffed at that point. And I know they were playing from behind, so they had to look for more of a passing game. But that's your best player, right? Josh Jacobs is their best player of that team. Um, and if you can't get that guy going, you're you're bound to lose. And even the Falcons didn't really have that that impressive of a game as well, right? Like Matt Ryan only had 185 yards on two touchdowns, and he had an interception himself, right? So I think the turnovers really made the biggest difference. And watching the highlights of that game, it seems to me that I think the first half, um, the Raiders were totally in it. And like you mentioned, they couldn't convert a lot of chances they had into touchdowns and they settled for field goals. And once you do that, you kind of shift the momentum a little bit to the other team. And I think Falcons were able to convert a few of those into touchdowns um, on, on their end, right. And on those turnovers specifically. So yeah, just very disappointing. I think by the, the end of the third um, quarter, the game was pretty much done. And I think that's where Gruden put in the back quarterback, um, Nate Peter, Nathan Peterman, and the, at that point, it's just looking to next week. So so we'll see how it goes. I think next week they play the Jets. Um, that should be a team they mow over again. But I don't feel as confident as I do 
um, you know, last week <laughs> before this game. So we'll, we'll have to kind of see and wait and see. Yeah, and hopefully, like, um, losing to the Chiefs um, the week before in a dramatic fashion, hopefully that didn't um, impact um, the Falcons game for the Raiders um, there. You know, they were, you know, I think they won, like, three or four games in a row prior to the yep. Chiefs game. And then they lose by a, a last-minute touchdown by Mahomes, uh, I believe, on Sunday night football. Um, then they have to, you know, travel across the country to face Atlanta there. So, um, you know, it's just an overall very bad loss. In addition to, like, the turnovers, um, you know, there was, a, I think, over 110 um, yards of penalties um, that was docked uh, by the Raiders um, as well. And, it, you know, I think they just have to find a way to bounce back or their season um, will be in jeopardy um, there. And luckily they have the Jets um, next week and they're, you know, they're, they haven't won a game um, at all. Um, so, you know, I, I expect them to, you know, bounce back bounce back and win this game. Yeah, it could be a little bit of an emotional toll, like you mentioned, because they did have a really close game with the Chiefs and they beat them in the past. And and that it was a division opponent that they were really, you know, put putting all in, right? And then once you're once right. you're all in on that and you come out of that game, you're naturally gonna be really exhausted. Right. So in some ways it could be yeah. emotional fatigue and why why they couldn't step up against the Falcons. But yeah, I, I do agree with you in the next game with the Jets that they're definitely going to step it up. Uh, I think they just need more ball control, right? Make sure they don't turn the ball over and just don't pay to play to the level of the competition. I know there's going to be some good players on that side. They have Frank Gore, Crowder. Uh, I know Sam Darnold's back as well. So it's not going to be a pushover game per se, but it should be a totally winnable game. They're definitely going to be the better team. Um, in terms of talent mm-hmm. and coaching and everything. So, so yeah, they should win this game, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, in other uh, NFL news, there's been some um, coaching changes or firings, um, sp- uh, specifically from the Detroit Lions. Uh, Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn, their general manager, were both fired uh, this week here. And... Um, you know, Robert Sala has been on the coaching hot list uh, for the past couple years here. And do you think Sala is the next uh, head coach for the yeah, Lions? I think we kind of underestimated Robert Sala. I know in our interview with um, Beast Rider last week, we kind of talked a little bit about how Robert Sala, you know, wasn't performing that well on coaching. But when you look at the overall rankings and stats, they're actually really good. Mm-hmm. They're ranked six overall in, on overall defense, according to ESPN. They're fifth against the passing yards and fourth against the receiving yards and 11th against rushing yards. That's amazing to do without mm-hmm. Nick Bosa in your lineup. Right? He's been doing it with yeah. Al Sherman as well, without D Ford and a few other key players like that, right? Um, without the Forrest Buckner, right? <laughs> who, who we talked about a lot. Um, so, yeah, so I think Robert Sala definitely will be considered as a candidate for the Lions. And I think he is from that area um, based on what I read. I remember he's from that area. So that's why he's really tied to potentially have that Lions job. It'll be interesting to see interesting to see if he actually takes it and what he does with that team. And in some ways, I'm actually rooting for him um, to be able to take that job just because I, I think he's a 
great dude. And the last game, they actually highlight a lot of him cheering, right? <laughs> That's been kind of his trademark now, his um, Sala signature cheers. And you can tell the team around him really mm-hmm. likes him, right? Uh, he's definitely a leader. And and l- listening to the few interviews with Robert Sala, he definitely breaks down the X's and O's really well and really understands defense. So, so I'll be kind of sad to see him go in a lot of ways. Um, because you know he's definitely a good defensive coordinator. He's worked well with um, Shan- Kyle Shanahan so far, but at the same time, I would I would love to see him in a, leading a head coaching job and seeing how well he does with that team. And what's interesting also is that there's some rumors that Doug Quinn, the former um, head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, would replace Robert Sala if he were to leave. And that'll be an interesting situation mm-hmm. as well because um, Kyle Shanahan did work with um, you know Quinn when he was with the Falcons, but it'll be kind of a role reversal where I think Quinn was um, a little bit higher, like he was a head coach already, I think at that point, and with Kyle Shanahan as a coordinator, and so they they they're doing a little bit of switch, but um, Doug Quinn is more of a defensive minded coach right so that's definitely what they need so it'll be interesting to see if that that change happens and how how it changes the makeup of this defense so yeah i just hope that um sala picks the right opportunity and the the right nfl franchise um for his next coaching gig here and i'm not entirely sure the lions as a whole would be the best opportunity for sala um there so i guess we're just gonna have to um kind of wait and see where that turns out the good news for him there's a lot of opportunities out there right i mean with the falcons job as well that we previously mentioned and that might be a good fit for him as well i think um yeah so we'll have to see what he chooses but um you know would love to see him back if he wants to stay as well so Yeah, it'll be. I think oh, it'll be great if he stays, but we wouldn't be surprised if he um, leaves for greener pastures. So the NBA. Let's talk about the NBA um, here. Um, the last time we spoke, it was before draft yep. day, Jerry, and uh, Clay Thompson was still healthy, <laughs> and uh, we were still we were still you know waiting to see who we would draft um, for the future. And unfortunately, on draft day, on draft day, uh, Clay Thompson uh, tore his Achilles uh, during a um, during a pickup basketball game in the downtown Los Angeles area here. And uh, you know, just kind of looking at his contract that he signed right after he tore his ACL in the NBA Finals a few uh, seasons back uh, here, he actually is. Um, he is making thirty-seven point nine million per year for the next uh, for for the next four years now. So he signed a five-year contract worth one hundred and eighty-nine uh, million dollars, and and that's wow. all guaranteed here. So, um, do you think this is the worst contract um, in the NBA, as as some of the analysts have uh, stated here, or is this something that we just kind of have to wait and see and? Um, hopefully Clay can come back to his normal self. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Like, obviously, looking back on it, if you had to make the contract today, you wouldn't make that contract because it mm-hmm. looks terrible to have Clay Thompson miss two seasons and still giving him a big contract. But I think at the time, we we're expecting Clay Thompson come back. 
And if that's the case, I think it was a good contract because it sends a a really bad message, I think, to the rest of the team. If you were to get hurt and you forget all the past accomplishments that Clay Thompson has and underpay the guy, right? I think we watched that documentary with Michael Jordan where Scottie Pippen uh, was underpaid for the Bulls. Um, he wasn't very happy, right? And that was a really bad situation. You don't want that type of toxicity in your locker room, right? And I think when it comes to injury, I don't think it's really Clay Thompson's fault in a lot of ways. I think it's just he was playing pickup basketball probably to get ready for the season, right? To keep himself sharp. And we don't know how many times he's actually played that before he got injured. So I think it's. It's unfortunate. Um, I would be curious to see how he is when he comes back. I know Achilles' injury is is pretty bad. It's a pretty high-impact injury, and people respond differently to it. Um, But I don't think it's impossible to come back from. I know Kevin Durant had that right uh, for his injury, and he's coming back. So I'll be curious to see how Kevin Durant does, because that might be reflective of how um, Clay Thompson does. And it'll be... Interesting to see how it changes his game as well. Is he going to be more of a defender? Is he going to be more of a long-range shooter, jump shooter? Is he not going to attack the rim as much? Um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what it does to him, right? And I think um, the Warriors organization have always done the right thing, I feel like, when it comes to contract extensions, when it comes to keeping morale up in the locker room. They've always, I think, made the right moves, and that's why we've won all these championships. So I don't really question Bob Myers' move to extend um, Clay Thompson. I think that was the right move at the time. Um, it's just unfortunate how it turned out, um, which is out of our control. Yeah, I think no one really questioned uh, the contract extension even after he tore his ACL in the NBA Finals here. But kind of looking back, uh, two years later, and and uh, having the the injury um, status right in front of us, it's very easy for any of us to claim that his contract looks horrible here, and you just kind of blew through eighty, yeah. what is it, eighty million um, of it. So I guess it's just a wait and see. Is he going to be uh, the same player coming back after two years off, and now being in his uh, you know early to mid thirties? Throughout this contract, mm-hmm. who knows? You know, um, I'm just going to always delegate to, um, yeah. to to Grant Hill. He had uh, he had all these major injuries, um, and he was just never the right player. And he ended up just being um, a role player, standing in the corner shooting three pointers for the most part. So, you know, we'll, hopefully with modern technology and um, and proper rehab, Clay will be able to... Yeah, I think uh, Clay Thompson back. will be a better defender than Grant Hill, right? Even with the injury. So at least he can play that role where um, he'll be more of a defensive uh, presence. And I think Clay Thompson, in my personal opinion, is probably you know top five, if not top three, of the best Warriors player to ever played. Um, so I think you know, in some ways, uh, you know, I'm really sad that he's gone and hurt and injured. But um, I feel like if anyone that can come back, it'll be him. He's like mentally really tough. I mean, if you look at the finals where he got hurt, he came back and shot free throws when he didn't have to, um, mainly because he thought he had a chance to come back. Um, from that um, torn, it was a torn ACL, right at the time. So it, that just shows me, I think, um, that 
he's mentally really tough and that he's he's in it to to really play the game and you know with that mindset and that drive i think he'll he'll do well in in rehab it's just how his body responds is the unknown right so yeah the the warriors they found out about the injury um maybe a few hours or an hour before um the actual draft that night here so Anthony Edwards was picked number one uh, by the Timberwolves. And the Warriors could have had a chance knowing that they won't have, uh, you know, their starting shooting guard for the whole season. They had a chance to um, draft LaMelo Ball here. But they decided to go with um, with Jace, James Wiseman, whom I think was number one on their own draft board here. Any thoughts about drafting Wiseman and may, should they have considered um, drafting LaMelo Ball, who some analysts think is the best player no, I to think draft? If you're reacting just to Clay Thompson's injury and trying to make up for it in the draft, I don't think it's the right way to go, especially with James Wiseman out there, because you do have a big hole in the center position, right? I think you have Marquise Chris, you have Kevin Looney, but I don't think those two guys were really superstars on our team, right? They're good players, but they're not going to be outstanding players. And I think James Wiseman's ceiling is definitely there where he can be a superstar. Um, you know, seven, I think he's a really solid center overall and be able to play alongside even um, Draymond Green and also uh, Steph Curry there. I think he's going to be an outstanding player, right? And and they they also reacted by signing Kelly Oubre, right? And I think that, that was the response to the Clay Thompson injury, I think. I don't, I don't think Clay Thompson is one-to-one with Kelly Oubre, but at least he has experience in the league and he can kind of fill in um, some of the shooting deficits that they have without Clay being there. Um, so, so I think it was the right move to get Wiseman. I think overall, I liked the pick. I, I, we talked about this before the draft happened that we thought that he was the best player for the Warriors. And in some ways, I know, you know, Ball was considered like the best player in the draft. I don't think I agree with that. I think it's hard to say. I think in some ways, I actually put Edwards and Wiseman over him. Um, but those are the type of things that you wouldn't know until probably two or three years after the fact. Right. Um, so, so we'll have to see. Um, did you like the pick? Um, Mike, I'm curious to get your opinion on it actually. Yeah. You know, I actually really liked the pick and I'm glad the Warriors didn't panic. You know, I think it would have been very easy to, you know, receive the news about clay and, think to yourself, okay, we need to fill this hole right now here. And they went with, um, you know, they went with what their evaluators went with. And I thought they picked the right, uh, the right player here. And, uh, you know, Wiseman, he, he's, um, he's quite a beast out there on the floor. You know, even though he's only played three games in college here, that, that might, uh, you know, that might actually help him in, in, in which he's had less games you know, and less, um, less wear and tear, you know, in the system here. So he's, he's, and he's going to have a lot to learn. And I think that uh, with this core, with Draymond and, and Curry and Wiggins and having this coaching staff um, here, they're going to 
be able to um, kind of yeah, guide him in the right I direction. I think Looney and Chris are also there, so there's no pressure for him to start on day one. I think even Kerr talked about right. probably having Looney start the season and then seeing how things go. I think that's great. That's like giving him time to develop. It's similar to you know Aaron Rodgers developing behind Brett Favre, right? <laughs> As a rookie, you want to have some reps and have some less pressure to be able to perform on day one. And I think this gives him the perfect opportunity to do it. Um, I think what I saw in a lot of the highlights is he, he definitely guards the rim and is a great rebounder. Um, so there's going to be a lot of lobs and pick and rolls that I think Curry will run. So I think one of the things that I thought I thought of was, uh, wow, will we be able to do crazy you know, lobs like what Curry gave to Giannis in the All-Star game? That would be awesome, right? I think with... I don't think anyone on a team <laughs> would be able to do that before Wiseman. So, um, so it'd be good to see. I think, yeah, right. I think the cons are what you mentioned that I think there's a lack of experience where you only played three games and there's a little bit of lack of size on them. I mean, just looking at him, he definitely needs to put a little bit more weight, I think, um, to be more of a, a presence under a rim, especially against, you know, legit NBA players. So, so we'll kind of see if his reach, I think that's one of his biggest advantages, will kind of overcome the lack of size right so we'll we'll have to see when that comes but um i wouldn't be surprised if he struggles a little bit in the beginning um when he does play um mainly because of the rust that he's had not playing like a you know playing college and not being able to play um real professional ball ever right so um so we'll have to see um but near the middle of the season maybe after all-star break um i would I would think he he will become a a legit player, right? Or he won't, and we'll know by then. <laughs> so, so we'll have to see the trajectory at that point. Yep. And when you mention lack of size, do you mean yes. like well, lack yeah, of lack bulk? of bulk? Yeah, yeah, lack of bulk. Him? Not not in okay. terms of wingspan or okay. height. Like okay. obviously he has all that, right? I think it's just lack of bulk. You don't want him to get pushed around by some of the bulk, mm-hmm. some of the bigger players in the league, right? So. So we'll kind of have to see what happens there. So, Yeah, and um, we had a couple um, second-round picks. The Warriors drafted Nico Mannion uh, with uh, pick 48 in round two and also Justinian Gisup, uh, pick 51 in that same round here. And after watching a little bit of um, some highlights of Nico Mannion, I actually like his game a lot. Um, here he's a six-three um, point guard slash facilitator, and he played for the Arizona Wildcats um, in college. I believe he played for only one year there. Um, I believe he was also mm. the number six prospect going into um, college uh, that season. Um, you know he can he's a he's a big playmaker um, here. He can uh, you know shoot the three very well. And uh, he just has um, a lot of athleticism, which I think would be able to translate to the NBA game. Um, do you have any uh, thoughts from watching yeah, I uh, think some the of the Warriors actually Jared? got a steal here? Um, Nico was projected to go in the first round, mm-hmm. I think, to either the Grizzlies or someone somewhere around there, right? Um, but the Warriors was able to get him in the second round, so I think that's great. <laughs> that that tells me a lot. Um, <clears throat> what I think is interesting is the Warriors signed a two way contract with him. So I'm wondering if he's going to start out in the G League a little bit just to get some development and then bring him up. But yeah, he definitely reminds me a little bit of Monte Ellis or Leandro Barbosa in, in the way he shoots and the speed and the playmaking ability. 
I think is all there. So it'll be interesting to see how they use him. Is it going to be a backup to Curry? Is it going to be alongside Curry, like how um, Russell was for a couple games? Um, we'll have to see. So but I, mean, I am excited. I do like the signing or the pick. Uh, I think it's really it's a really good pick for from the Warriors, right? And they. I think across the league and a lot of articles I've read, um, people were pretty pretty happy that the Warriors um, got Nico. So so we'll have to see. I think it's an exciting pick in a lot of ways um, because of the potential that's there. So yeah, and they also drafted uh, G Sub, um, who uh, made over three hundred and twenty five uh, three pointers um, in college at Boise State. <laughs> Um, here, so that's you know that's a great number of three pointers um, here. So I guess um, what we really have to question <laughs> is, can he yeah. do anything else, <laughs> right? Um, it's great that he's able to you know shoot threes and that he's able to shoot at over forty percent um, from that mark um, here. But I'm very curious to see other parts of his game, and um, maybe he'll. Uh, he will pick up some parts of that game elsewhere, or maybe in maybe in a development league. Yeah, it um, kind of reminds me a little bit of Clay Thompson or a bigger Kyle Cover in a lot of ways with his playmaking abilities mm-hmm. and just his size as well. Um, and one impressive thing for me is that he's never missed a game, um, so the durability is definitely there. And that was one of the biggest pros I've read is that his availability, right? Having him on the court at all times and being able to play extended games without getting injured and being being productive whenever he's on the on the court. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he develops. I know he played a year overseas to kind of work on. <clears throat> developing his game further because um, there's some questions about his playmaking ability and defense. Um, so we'll have to see. I, he definitely has a size um, similar to Clay Thompson. So um, we'll have to see if he really did develop that defensive skill in, in um, you know, overseas or if he has to go down to the G League to kind of develop that more. But I think as a bench player, not having to start per se um, for the Warriors, I think that was a good pickup, right? That that gives a little bit more depth for the Warriors when when the time comes, if um, you know, if it has to step in for Kelly Oubre or or um, just being able to be a spot up jump shooter and in, in you know tough situations in the fourth quarter, maybe he's the guy to go to. So so we'll have to see how his game plays out, and I think the coaching staff, um, he's definitely the the type of player I think. Steve Kerr likes uh, a person who gives a lot of shots, have some size and a lot of potential um, to defend and things like that. So I think he, yeah, I think it was a good pickup as well. And, you know, it's in the second round, later second round. So I think most players there are going to be guys that are not perfect, but has a lot of a huge ceiling and he definitely fits that mold. So I don't think anyone's questioning why why that pick was there. So so I think it's good. So I think Jessup is 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 also an exciting player to look out for. So I think overall the three the top three picks I think were pretty solid. So yeah, I totally agree with you there. Um, I'm pretty fairly happy with the with the picks and also the offseason acquisition of Kelly Obre. Here, which I think will provide um, a lot of good athleticism um, in the shooting guard position um, here, and uh, he'll he'll kind of like kind of come in seamlessly and be able to play with the first unit and kind of provide that spark um, playing with Draymond and and Curry. 
um, there. And uh, what are your thoughts about the free agency? Yeah, no, I, and, I agree with you. Like, I, mean, I think I really liked, um, I really do like the uh, pickup, right? Um, he definitely has experience. Um, and yeah, I think it's good. I, I'm kind of curious on what the Warriors do going forward as well, right? If they're going to make any more moves. I'm thinking they probably wouldn't make as many moves now. Um, I don't know where they would make moves, right? So, mm-hmm. so I think they're kind of, you know, kind of stuck of where they are. I know a lot of people wanted uh, Giannis here and all that stuff, but you know, th- I, don't, I don't think that would have ever worked, right? <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So I think uh, overall, I think the Warriors did a pretty good job, and not surprising. I think the, the ownership group and Bob Myers are are, pre- are really good at this stuff, right? At picking talent and moving players around. So it's uh, so they didn't disappoint here. Yeah, absolutely. Here, and um, one more um, piece of news uh, from the NBA uh, this week. Uh, well, actually, let's kind of go back to March thirteenth, uh, two thousand and twelve, and this date was pretty important in Warriors history because um, Monte Ellis was a key part of um, the Warriors during that time here, and they were um, he was playing alongside with uh, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, and on. On that date, on March 13th, uh, 2012, he was um, traded along with Cormie Brown and uh, Epe Udo to the Milwaukee Bucks in exchange for Andrew Bogut um, and Steven Jackson. And, you know, I, this week, Bogut actually retired uh, from the game of basketball entirely here. And it's unfortunate because um, he wasn't able to play any lasting games uh, with his Olympic team just because the Olympics was, uh, was canceled uh, this year. How, what Do you have any lasting memories of Bogut as a warrior um, here, or did you yeah, think it I was think, just short-lived? I, I still remember that trade um, when it happened. It was like, why? You traded away Monte Ellis? Like, like you know, we believe Monte Ellis mm-hmm. for, for a guy that's um, been notoriously – injury prone right um at least that was a perception i had um and i thought the i thought bogut was gonna be slow he was gonna be injury prone and all this stuff but it turned out he was a really great player for the system and he definitely gave a lot of size advantage um for the warriors that the warriors didn't have and and he he was an exciting player and you can on the court he looked like he was having a lot of fun i remember his signature thing was seeing uh, Steph Curry shoot a three, and before it even went in, he started running back on defense. <laughs> those are just like those classic moments that you're just like, oh, this guy's hilarious, right? <laughs> like he has a personality. So, um, and I, I thought it was pretty great that he came back for the finals, um, you know, in 20, uh, 2018 or 2019 season. So it was it was kind of cool to see him come back to, to help out the Warriors some more. Um, Unfortunately, we didn't win, obviously, but, but it was cool to to see him back. So, yeah, he definitely will be missed. Um, I think there's a lot of great memories with him. And I think having uh, a lot of those championships that the Warriors won, I don't think we would have been able to do without him. So, he, yeah, he, he overall, I think, was was a great pickup, great, um, a great warrior for us, right? And, and um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have anything else to say about that besides, you know, he'll be missed, so. Yeah, and I thought that um, that acquisition was monumental um, for the Warriors just because it kind of made room for Steph Curry to and and Klay Thompson mm-hmm. 
to, you know, play their roles. Um, they didn't have Monte Ellis in the middle there, um, kind of using up minutes. And, uh, you know, Bogut, he came, he came into the team and he brought like this defensive uh, mindset into it. And he was just kind of like that perfect uh, center for that offense at the time where he would, you know, get the ball at the top elbow and be able to uh, make some, you know, dribble handoffs and also Mm -hmm. uh, make those backdoor passes um, from that area. And uh, I just thought uh, those, those couple years in the, in the dynasty area, he was very, um, he was just very important. And as the years gone by the center position and his value kind of diminished uh, in a way. And I just, I just felt that it was important to, you know, kind of acknowledge um, his time with the team and that, uh, yeah, you know, definitely. he should enjoy his early retirement. With the center position diminishing, I think, across the league was also an impact. And probably because the Warriors were doing so well <laughs> without a legit center for a while. Um, so I think the position overall diminishes a little bit. But mm-hmm. I think it's coming back, right? I think that's that's going to be interesting to see how the, the league yeah. evolves again. So, <laughs> But, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Like, um, Yeah, it was definitely worth giving him some time on this podcast to talk about because he's, he's a memorable player for us. And, um, yeah, I'm glad he can retire early and – Hopefully, when COVID's all over, we'll be able to see him in the stands and and cheer on the team, or maybe as an advisor, something to help with some of the younger centers. So, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, here, let's take a look at some football, um, some football lines here in the Bay, and also with the, with the Raiders, uh, the Forty ers and the Bills. Uh, the Bills are favored two and a half. Uh, who, yeah, do so think, like who do you think is going plus to pull two and this a half. one out? The over-under is 48. Um, this is a really tough game to call. Right? Like Honestly, when I saw the line, I think two, two and a half was actually pretty pretty right there. Um, it's definitely going to be a close game. I think it actually opened at one um, with the Bills favored. So it's um, right. It, it tells me that Vegas isn't sure how this game will go. Um you know, optimistically, I'm going to pick the Niners here. <laughs> I think I always pick the Niners, but I love the Niners on this position, um, mainly because they had an outstanding game. Mm-hmm. I think being able to keep um, you know the Bills one-dimensional and not having that run game will give them some edge there. And I think the Bills um, you know, haven't played like a big defensive team like ours um, to be able to get some pass rush going against them will be great. And if we see that and we start dominating on the defensive line, then I think we have a really good chance to win here. So I think I'm going with um, the Niners uh, plus two here and the over-under of 48. I would lean towards the under a little bit here, mainly because I think it will be a pretty close, tight game um, where the defenses on both sides, I think, will be a little bit stingy. I don't know if Nick Mullins can get it going to be able to to cover at least 24 points here, right? I think that's kind of the implied total here. Um, so, you know, 22, 24. So, um, so, so we'll see. But I'll, I'll probably go with the under here. Yeah, and I'm going to agree with you on all accounts. I think uh, the Niners will pull through. Um, probably <laughs> pretty close. I think it's going to be like a three, three to yeah. four or five point game. Um, there, and I'm just going to go with the under. 
uh, with uh, under 48. Uh, the, the Raiders, I think they're seven and a half points yep. favorite over the, the New York Jets. Um, how, yeah, it's what, Raiders minus seven and a half like here, um, at the Jets over under is 47. Um, I have to go with the Raiders here. Um, they have to come back from that last game. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is definitely a game that I think they can probably easily cover that seven and a half. Um, if they played at the level they played um, against KC. Right, if they show up like that and they minimize turnovers, I think that seven and a half they probably cover within the first quarter. <laughs> That's the type of blowout game that I'm expecting here. Um, and I think John Corona will lie a fire on them, right? To be lie a fire in them rather, <laughs> and get them to play hard because that last right. loss was embarrassing for them overall. So, so I think they're not going to repeat that. They're going to come out firing, and then over under a forty seven. Um, it's going to be tough here because I don't know if the Jets can score on the Raiders. Um, I know the Raiders can probably cover their end of it. I mean, the implied total is going to be, you know, obviously 20, uh, I think it was like 20, 27, right? It's an implied total with 27 being the Raiders. Um, so I think the Raiders could probably cover that 27 pretty easily, but the 20 for the Jets, that might be a stretch there. So, so I'll probably go with the under here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm going to I'm I'm going to agree with you <laughs> once again. Here, that's a rarity in this show, actually, when it comes to these picks. But uh, yeah, I do see the Raiders um, winning by at least 14 points, a couple touchdowns. Um, unfortunately, I don't see the Jets yeah. um, scoring more than 10 to 17 points mm-hmm. to even get close to the over under here. So let's uh, let's go with the Jets <laughs> and no, let's go with the Raiders seven and a half, and then we'll go with um, yeah, Forty Niners. I guess my overall um, thoughts here. on the two games is you know I think in a lot of ways from now on out it's going to be must win for both teams, right? For both the Raiders and Niners, they just have to win out. Um, whether they win by covering the spread or not covering the spread, who cares at this point? Just win, right? <laughs> so, um, so it'll be fun to see. I think for yep. you know the Niners and the Bills, we kind of talked about the offense and defensive side. I, I'll be curious to see how IU does there um, when IU comes back. How big of an impact it'll have? Um, will Debo Samuel's be even better because now the defenses have to consider two receivers? Uh, we still have Jordan Reed out there, who is a legit receiver, and Kendra Bourne is also there too, right? So then that gives a lot of for the secondary to think about. Um, but the offensive line is going to be really important to be able to to match that and give give some time there, right, for uh, Mullins to make those passes. And then on the Raiders side, um, the impact of Josh Jacobs being a little dinged up will be interesting to see. All right. I know Devontae Booker is actually a really good running back. Um, so I think he'll be able to fill in the shoes, but he's not, um, he's not Josh Jacobs. Right. So, so we'll kind of have to see there. And then their right receiving core has a step up a little bit more. Um, I don't think we've heard much in that right receiving core. I know Darren Waller from uh, the tight end, Darren Waller has really stepped up throughout the whole season, um, but he can't do it alone, right? I think in the last game, he was pretty much stuffed at that point. So, so we'll be curious to see him step it up a little bit more and, 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 or not him, but people around them step up a little bit more and, and be able to have car um, perform a little bit better, right? And having more ball control there. So, so we'll see. So that's my overall thoughts on the two games, and and you have our projections there. But um, any closing thoughts for you, Mike? 
No, I just think it's going to be a pretty exciting um, NFL week. Hopefully, um, COVID protocols um, mm -hmm. don't delay any more games um, here. You know, as we speak, I think the Steelers and Ravens game is going on right now on a Wednesday here. And that game has been uh, pushed back two or three other two or three times already. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just not good for the league. And, uh, you know, hopefully the hopefully these COVID cases, um, it gets cleaned up here. And wow, uh, really? you know, we have wow. three Monday night games. Uh, coming up the Niners being one yeah, of them so right? three Monday night games, um, yeah. coming up so wow. yeah the Niners being oh. one of them here so that should be exciting you know like usually Monday night is just one game typically yeah uh, but, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, we, we got get, two max right in the beginning of the season they have two and then it's one after that so so yeah three is unusual and yeah. like you said it's a Wednesday afternoon here uh, Wednesday 12 o'clock game. I don't think I've ever heard of a Wednesday 12 o'clock professional football game, right? So definitely, you know, 2020 brings yep. out the, the unusual. So, <laughs> Yep. All right. Well, that concludes uh, episode nine here of our show. For Jerry Yang, this is Mike Tang. This is the... <laughs>